Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Sandra Geisler, Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. You can visit ellenbecker.com for more details. Normally this would be the point where I would introduce our guests for today, but today we're going to try a little bit of a different format for our program. With me today is Richard Wallacek, CPA, and Ed Henning, CPA. Together we make up the tax team here at Ellen Becker Investment Group, and we get really excited about talking about taxes. So we decided we were going to kind of have a group effort here today and talk about all things taxes, especially as it relates to some end of year planning and some things that we're working on with our clients. Um, we also want to talk a little bit about how to get ready for tax season. Everybody's excited about the holidays right now, but we're thinking about taxes and we're thinking busy season is right around the corner. So I want to give you a few points on some of the things that you can do as that mail starts to come in and as you're thinking about uh, taking the tree down and getting ready for tax time. And also we want to talk a little bit about 2023. There's going to be some new things that we're going to see and also um, some new things that we're anticipating that we might see. So we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the program today. So I hope you enjoy the new format and let's jump in. I'm excited. Excellent. Same here. Let's go. <laughs> so when we talk about tax season, we talk a lot with our clients about gathering information. Um, it's really important to kind of stay organized. As tax preparers, we have a lot to do in a pretty condensed amount of time. So from a, from a client perspective, if you can keep your information, you know, neat and tidy and organized and get it to your preparer in that format, that's really helpful for us to try to do your return in a timely manner and obviously in a really accurate manner as well. So Richard, what are some of the things that you talk to your clients about when you're talking about getting organized for tax season? Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, staples and paper clips. <laughs> those are not necessary to be provided to the tax preparer. We take all of those pieces of paper apart and kind of reorganize everything as we need it for uh, review and input purposes. So that, that's kind of one of those things where it's not necessary, but uh, sometimes it does pull through as well. But a lot of it's just a matter of identifying those important documents. They come in the mail, they have a headline saying important tax document. That's a letter that you do not throw away. <laughs> and then you gather it in your folder or your, your place of tax documents. And then once you have enough to provide your tax preparer, that's when you submit it to us. And then we just, we take it and we run with it. I like to tell uh, clients it's good to keep a little folder or an envelope or something, you sure. know, where you sort your mail because that way you can just kind of put all those documents in and, and then when it's time for you to look at everything and see what you have and make sure you have everything, at least everything is in one place. Mm -hmm. How do clients know what 
uh, what documents they're going to be getting. And how do you, you know, how, what's a good way to kind of check off sort of a document checklist? Yeah, so, you know, obviously, if you're a wage earner, you're going to have your, your W-2s. Um, if you have some investment accounts, you're going to have those 1099-Rs. Uh, potentially, if you're retired, you, you'll have 1099-Rs when you're taking that money out. Um, yeah, you're just going to have basically... You're going to have a lot of documents that you're going to be getting, right? And so I think uh, a tax organizer is a really great option if your preparer uh, provides that for you. Richard, you were going to add something about yeah. the tax organizer. Yeah, I was going to say the organizers that list the questions, sometimes it'll have that historical reference of, hey, you received these documents for this category last year. If nothing's changed since last year, you'll likely receive the same documents, the same W-2, the same investment statements or distribution statements mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of it comes down to uh, kind of a, a recurring pattern of what happened last year is going to happen this year for taxes. Sure. Right. And I think uh, our organizer, I know, asks a lot of questions. And some of those questions are pretty uh, customized with regard to the tax year. So you'll recall the last couple of years, we, we had those stimulus payments that were given to taxpayers because of COVID. And uh, so that was an important component uh, but unique to just uh, 2020 and 2021. And so we ask questions about that. We may ask questions about, you know, did you move? Uh, did you have new children? Did you contribute to a uh, grandchildren's advest or uh, education savings plan? Things like that that maybe we don't do every year, but that we want to make sure that we're letting our tax preparer know about. That's a good point because a lot of times we become very numbers focused during the review and input process where if somebody moves, sometimes we may not necessarily look at the address as closely and scrutinize it as we, we would like to mm -hmm. because we're so focused on how, how much income is there, what else is happening within that tax return as opposed to a label saying here's where to send the tax documents to or from. I'm a big fan of tax organizers, so uh, be sure to talk with your preparers. Um, if, if EIG Tax is your preparer, we're happy to prepare that customized tax organizer. We can mail it to you. We can email it to you. We also use an online portal system, which I'm sure a lot of tax preparers use as well. And all of that information can be provided digitally to you as well. So it's a great tool to help you sort of get organized for everything. I think um, we're going to have a new form this year that uh, a few people are going to get, um, probably more than a few, actually, uh, and it's going to be a little bit different for some people. That's the 1099-K? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so basically, you know, you're receiving income over $600 in payments from different vendors, um, say like PayPal, Venmo, things like that, that you're you know, you're working with your, your business income kind of comes through those, um, you're receiving those those payments, you're gonna get that 1099K this year, so. Those payments, uh, those 1099Ks are gonna come from third-party payment providers. So right. like a Venmo or, or PayPal, mm -hmm. those are the companies that are gonna be required to do that if you have transactions over $600. So be sure to watch for that if you're, you know, doing any, uh, you know, sales on Etsy, for example, or you're, you know, doing any kind of small business crafts that you're selling or, you know, potentially even, um, 
you know, selling tickets, you know, something like Packer tickets or things like that. Sure. And mm-hmm. that, that exchange of funds is coming through those payment providers. Make sure you watch for that and explain to your tax preparer why you're getting it. That's going to be really important. Another thing that we also um, really ask our clients to do um, is to provide us information regarding any qualified charitable distributions that they've done. Why is that important, Richard? Well, let's take one step back for qualified charitable distributions. There's an age minimum, an age requirement with that, where you do need to be over age 70 and a half to qualify to give those gifts to charity from your uh, IRA account, if you will. But the important part of this is that if we're not made aware of that, when that tax document comes through, the full dollar amounts pulled out of that account look as if they're completely taxable, whereas because you gave it to charity, that those dollars should not be taxed. So by being aware of how much was given to charity, we can make an adjustment on the tax return so that the full tax benefit flows through. It's important, especially because it's not on the tax document you get. Exactly. And so the preparer is not going to know that you did any distributions for charitable purposes unless you give them that information. So that's really an important one to mm-hmm. to communicate. All of these things I think that we've talked about today is uh, uh, important in terms of that communication, right? So you, we have to make sure we're giving our preparers the correct documents and giving them the information they need so that your tax return is as accurate as it possibly can be. Right, and sometimes your preparer is so familiar with your tax background, if you will, that they will ask the questions too of, hey, you know, is is this appropriate? Am I understanding this correctly? Did you give to charity from this type of an account? So it's almost a two-way street where both you you prepare or provide those documents, but also the tax preparer might circle back and say, hey, I, I have some questions before I finalize your tax return. Absolutely. Those, those lines of communication are really important. Well, I hope that gives you some good information about how to sort of get ready for tax season. In our next segment, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about some end-of-year planning opportunities, uh, both for people who are still working as well as some people who are retired as well. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, to that conversation as well. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Sandra Geisler, Director of Tax Planning for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm joined today by the rest of the tax team here at Ellen Becker, Ed Henning and Richard Wallasek. We're talking today about some end of year tax planning strategies. We've talked a little bit in the first segment about how to organize and communicate properly with your tax preparer as we look towards the upcoming tax season. In this segment, I think we really want to kind of focus on what kinds of things are we looking at as we approach year end. A really big uh, concern for us is making sure that people have paid in enough. Um, Richard, you talked a little bit about sort of the pay-as-you-go tax system that we have. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what payroll is. You earn a paycheck. A portion of your earnings are set aside for tax purposes, federal taxes, state taxes, and sometimes, um, 
Sometimes there's not enough. Sometimes there's not <laughs> enough. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking here is that sometimes things change. You, you get a bonus. You get uh, additional income. The withholding tables change where payroll says, oh, hey, please fill out this new payroll withholding form. And sometimes, you know, those changes just don't compute and withhold enough taxes. So one of the things that we like to do is just run something called a withholding check where we can compute and calculate the total tax liability compared to the taxes withheld. And the ultimate goal is to determine, hey, is there a tax surprise or is there not? Can we make an adjustment? Do we have time to push more dollars in and withhold more through a pay period and alleviate that tax surprise? We've got a couple pay periods, maybe one, two, maybe three, depending on the frequency of your pay mm -hmm. as we kind of roll into the end of the year here. Withholding is always considered to be annualized by the IRS, right? So um, even if we make a very large withholding deposit now, the IRS considers as though we had given that money throughout the whole year. That's a little different than making the quarterly estimated payments. So if we find ourselves still working um, and short on that withholding, a really good option, as Richard said, is to increase the withholding potentially by a lot, depending on how short you might be on those remaining paychecks. You can work with your payroll department or if you have online access to W-4 changes, you can do that pretty easily between now and the end of the year. But what if that's not a good option? What if we can't really afford the hit to the net pay? Um, but we've got some money stashed aside. Um, how can we make that work, Ed? Yeah, so a little bit uh, different than the withholding, we have estimated tax payments that we can make. So we can make a Q4 estimated tax payment, and that'll help mitigate the underpayment penalties that you, you potentially could have. Um, that's going to be due January 17th this year, so January 17th, 2023. Um, if yeah, if we don't have the opportunity to really fill that in with withholding, I think estimates are a great way to go. And so. how do, how would somebody go about making a fourth quarter payment? Yeah, so we can basically get you the voucher on that. We, as Richard said, we do that withholding check. You know, we can get you where we can with withholding, and then we have a basically a tax projection for each of our clients, and can kind of get that information to you via a voucher that you can make the payment. You can make the payment via check, send it in with the voucher, or we can get you the online payment links to make the payment online as well. I think that's a that's a really good option for people who are comfortable you know, with technology and, sure. and automatic withdrawals and things like that. It's a pretty easy system. You can just go to irs.gov slash direct pay, and uh, you can make a payment uh, for your taxes that way. That and you can also schedule it for a future date. So you could do it today for a date to be withdrawn in January as well. That's awesome because That's then nice. we don't have to remember it, right? Correct. We can just get it done when we're working on it yep. and that payment will automatically come out on that date. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, so what happens if um, we owe too much? So maybe we don't do this withholding check and we get to the point where we're going to be uh, preparing the tax return and we get to the bottom line and we have a really large balance due. What happens with regard to um, some interest and penalties? Are we going to be subject to those or under what circumstances might we have to pay more than just the tax? So that sounds like the back to that underpayment penalty where because not enough has been paid as you go through the calendar year, 
you're subject to a formula that's going to drive, well, hey, you know, on a quarterly basis, you're supposed to pay in so much per pay period or per quarter. And because in, because you have not, you're uh, assessed a, a percentage rate. And with rising interest rates in today's environment, those lower digit underpayment penalties are starting to add up this I year. I think the IRS is at 7% now. Right. That's, yeah. that's incredible. It used to be like 2 or 3%. And right. We'd kind of laugh in prior years saying, well, shoot. You didn't pay in enough, but your investment appreciation is so much more that that 2% underpayment penalty, you would have earned more than that in the stock market. Right. So we're not concerned with it in prior years, but this year it's getting to be right, a, right. A, a kind of a flip on the approach that we take. Sure. One of the things that we dealt with a lot in 2021 with uh, investment portfolios was capital gain distributions. So those are gains that are taken within your individual mutual funds. And the income is is received into the portfolio typically mid-December. There were very large capital gain distributions in some mutual funds in 2021. We're still unsure exactly how that's all going to look in 2022, but that's an additional source of income that needs to be included when we're when we're looking at your total tax liability. So as you're kind of checking that now, that's an important consideration too to kind of watch for the income that's coming from your bank, potentially, uh, bank interest, dividends, capital gain distributions. Another investment income item that we obviously watch carefully is capital gains from inside of taxable accounts in portfolios. This year, we've had a lot of market volatility. And so one of the opportunities that our wealth advisors have used is to do some tax loss harvesting. So Ed, tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah, so basically, um, you can harvest losses in your taxable account by selling securities that are, you know, with the down market, they're, they're down right now. So you can sell those securities at a loss to obtain a tax benefit. And so you're able to offset those losses against capital gains this year and then into the future as well. If you have capital losses in excess of capital gains this year, you're able to deduct up to $3,000. The IRS has that limitation, and you can deduct that against any ordinary income. With that, if you have anything in excess of that, then you can carry that forward into future tax years as well to offset future capital gains. So it's a really good opportunity in a down market to take advantage of right now. Right, right. And and in order to take the loss, you have to do the sale, right? Right, right. Um, so we're not advocating people you know, sell securities just for tax purposes, but it's an opportunity for you to kind of take advantage of some of the things going on in the market right now. That $3,000 loss, um, as you said, against ordinary income is going to reduce your tax liability overall and could potentially help with that balance due that we've been talking about. What else do we want to talk about? What else is important for us as we move into year end? I think we can uh, look at our 401ks and 403b plans to see if we can max those out, um, maybe check with your HR, make sure that you're getting the max this year. Uh, 2022 401k, 403b maxes are 20500 and then there's a catch-up contribution if you're over the age 50 of $6,500. 
and those numbers are going to go up for 2023 as well to, to help out with um, inflation and everything. Right, so. right. And, and one thing that I recently came across was the, the company match, where the client of ours here um, he received a bonus middle of the year. He completely filled up the maximum amount that could be put into the 401k plan, and then he lost the company match for the remaining six months of the year. So sometimes if you're expecting large increases in income, you might need to adjust how much, uh, what percentage rate you're putting into your 401k so it's spread out over 12 months instead of putting in as much as you can, as fast as you can for the sake of maximizing that company match. Right. And that's a plan specific issue. So you want to make sure that you're looking at your individual 401k or 403b plan to see how your plan is structured. But that's a really that's a really good point. If you if you still have an opportunity and you want to max that out for the year, you can adjust these last few pay periods. Um, if you defer into the plan on a pre-tax basis, that again is going to reduce your tax liability overall. So that those are great planning strategies that we use with our clients quite a bit. Yeah, and even looking at that, it's it's almost a question of. Do we go in a pre-tax fashion, or is it is a Roth account more advantageous? But then that requires a full review of the client's situation to figure out what really works for them short-term and long-term. Absolutely, and that's really individual to clients and their age, their income, their estate plan, all of those things. And I think that's a, that's a really good consideration. We're going to talk a little bit more about some additional planning opportunities, um, and we can talk a little bit more about 401k and 403b contributions as well. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Sandra Geisler, Director of Tax Planning for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I'm joined today by Ed Henning and Richard Wallacek, and we're talking all things tax as it relates to year end, getting ready for tax season. We were talking in the last segment a little bit about um, potentially trying to maximize your 401k or 403b contributions here as we get closer and closer to year end. Another opportunity to contribute to your retirement plans is via IRA contributions. You do have until the tax filing deadline the following year to make IRA contributions, which I believe is April 18th this year. And so um, we can can look at our uh, tax liability as we get the more accurate numbers, right? We are gonna get W-2s and we're gonna get our 1099s and we're gonna have a pretty good idea where we are tax-wise, maybe we decide we want to make an IRA contribution because it reduces our overall adjusted gross income and tax liability. What kinds of IRA contributions can we make, Richard? Um, And sort of what are the limitations of those? Yeah, like your traditional IRA contribution is is dictated by income. If you have too much income, you're unable to, to do a tax deductible IRA contribution. 
So a lot of times as we're preparing the tax return for those people on the border, we wait until we have the tax return practically finalized. And then we say, well, based on that, we know how much can be put into the account and the tax savings associated with that. How much can be put into an IRA for 2022? Uh, well, it depends on your age. If you are 50 and above, it's $7,000. Below that, it's $6,000. And we have to have earned income in order to do that, right? Correct. So, you do need earned income right. in order so we to. Have, we have to be working at a job, right? So our retired people, um, unless they're doing something, you know, maybe part-time on the side, mm -hmm. aren't eligible for IRA contributions, correct? correct? Correct. Yep. And what about Roth IRAs, Ed? Yeah, so uh, we touched on Roth 401ks, so a little bit different there. This is uh, basically a separate contribution that you're making to a Roth IRA account. But anything that you put into this Roth, it has uh, the same limitations as far as contributions. Um, so you have the 6000 under 50 and then 7000 over 50 But basically taking your after-tax money, you're putting it into this Roth account. It's going to grow tax-free for you. Um, it's a really good opportunity for you know younger taxpayers to get a lot of tax-free growth. Gives you a lot of balance and flexibility in your portfolio. Um, so I def definitely recommend the Roth IRA. If your income is under those limits, right? Right, right. So uh, basically, Roth IRAs. You're talking, you know, the income limits are. I think it's for single. It's hundred and maybe I think it's 160,000 something like that and then for married filing joint would be uh, I think it's up to 204 to 214,000 they had the phase out limitation uh, range as well right right and one thing with that too you can participate in the work 401k plan and an outside IRA plan as well so you could potentially put dollars into a Roth account at work and dollars into a Roth account outside of work that is an excellent point because I think that gets a little confusing for people. Yeah, so uh, there's another opportunity with those Roth or actually even a deductible IRA when one of your one of the taxpayers in a married situation does not have the plan offered through their employer. Um, so you can actually contribute to this IRA, whether it be Roth or deductible IRA without those in income limitations. So that's another another opportunity as well. Oh, you got me thinking now here, the spousal contribution too. You can have one wage earner and they can make a contribution both for themselves and their spouse. Well, we've been talking a lot about people who are still working, but we, we wanna talk a little bit about some of the planning opportunities for people who are not working anymore, some of the retired people. And so, um, even though they're no longer eligible to make contributions to their retirement accounts, we like to say that those retirement accounts change from savings accounts now to spending accounts, right? They spend all their working mm -hmm. years saving up and, and now it's time to you know use those savings um, to pay for their living expenses in, in retirement. One of the things that um, is a really nice opportunity here at the end of the year is to make sure that people who are required to take their required minimum distributions have taken those. So that's an, a really important consideration because of the penalty. Yeah, absolutely. If you forget, if you do not take, if you don't take out enough, your penalty is 50% of what was supposed to be taken out. So it's a very uh, strong consideration and, and point of review that we take with all of our clients to make sure that we're compliant and we're, we've taken out what has to be taken. And it's kind of one of those 
things where it's part of our tax planning process at year end here. You have to be age 72 right now. Um, if you're age 72, then the government requires you to take a, a percentage out. How do we calculate that RMD? How do, how do people know exactly how much they're supposed to take out? Yeah, so basically you're taking all of your tax-deferred money, all your tax-deferred accounts, you're adding it all up, and then you take the prior year balances in total. So you aggregate those you know, accounts, and then you divide that by a factor. So at age 72, there's a certain factor, and then it goes all the way up to basically your, when you're age 100, and you're really paying a, a lower factor, so you're basically paying more of an IR, RMD as you go. Um, but that factor is 27.4 for uh, age 72. They're thinking about changing that age to potentially 73 up to a range of 75 uh, legislation out there right now that they're working on getting passed um, to give us a little bit more time to have to take that money out. But um, yeah, it's basically you know calculating on the prior year balances. And that deadline to take those required minimum distributions is December 31st. So that's something that if you're doing a year-end check and you're retired over those ages, it's really important to make sure that that's been taken. You can have withholding tax on your RMD. So if you are having a tax liability, you want to be sure that you're withholding the proper amounts from those distributions. Um, as we said, we don't want to pay any underpayment penalties, so it's really important to kind of look at your overall tax picture as well while you're uh, looking at potentially taking that extra taxes out. When we're age 70 and a half, we have one opportunity that's really effective for reducing that RMD, and that's giving for charitable purposes. Um, we talked a little bit about that in the first segment, how important that is to let your tax preparer know. But I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about that because it's such a great opportunity for people that age. Yeah, I mean, it's a qualified charitable distribution. The acronym is QCD. And once you meet the age requirements, the tax savings and tax benefits uh, they almost compound here. One, you get to support your charity so you can meet your, your your goals of giving to charity. Secondly, if you have a required minimum distribution, gifts to charity using this vehicle reduces how much has to come out in that required calculation there. So the beauty of this is because it comes out of your IRA and it goes to the charity, it bypasses your tax return, which means you don't pay federal taxes, you do not pay state taxes, so it's very tax efficient. You do not have to give enough to itemize your deductions in order to get a tax savings. So even if you give $100 from your IRA to a qualifying charitable organization, you get the tax savings associated with that. And it reduces overall AGI, which is important for a few other tax benefits that you get. Correct. Yep. I think it's an awesome opportunity. Remember that you have to be over age 70 and a half, so you don't have to be an RMD stage yet, but you can give once you reach age 70 and a half, and it also reduces that RMD, as you said. 
uh, some additional thoughts on uh, clearance. So basically, if you're you know writing those QCD checks, those ch- qualified charitable distribution checks out of your IRA, you want to make sure that they clear with the charity before year end. Otherwise, they they don't count. So that's that's, a, that's really important, especially if they're part of that RMD. Sure. We've talked a lot about income. Uh, today. And so I wanted to make sure that we touch a little bit on deductions. That reduces taxable income and overall reduces your tax liability. So what are the things, some of the year-end planning things that we can look at with regard to deductions? Yeah, so kind of looking at potentially increasing your Schedule A itemized deductions. um, That's definitely an area to look into. Um, so as far as real estate tax, making sure you know you're you're paying your real estate taxes on a consistent basis. So for 2022, you kind of want to set up to pay you know in 2022, and then the next year paying you know in December as well. You don't want to have it where it's you know December and January of that same year because you won't get the benefit um, on a potential Wisconsin return the next year on the Wisconsin deduction That's credit. It. That's important for the school property tax credit. You have to make sure that within the calendar year and the taxable year that you've paid enough property taxes to maximize the $300 credit that we get. Yeah, other than that, we're kind of looking down the line on Schedule A. So then, you know, obviously you have your real estate tax. You want to, as far as mortgage interest, let's say you have a higher income tax year. Maybe if you make additional principal payments, you might have additional interest for that year as well that you can add in. And then looking down, you kind of want to look into the charitable contributions area as well. Um, if you're able to bunch up charitable contributions in a higher tax year, uh, definitely get you, get you more savings at a expose higher tax rate, give you less exposure at that tax rate. Um, another opportunity in increasing those charitable contributions is looking into a donor advised fund. And that's basically funding this account that you can take on your itemized deductions. Let's say you give $10,000 a year for the next five years, that's a total of $50,000. If you set up this fund, you can take that itemized deduction that year and then disperse the funds amongst those those additional years. Um, you know, you're getting that tax benefit in the first year where you have that higher income tax. So We love that strategy because what it allows us to do is time when we take that charitable deduction. If you have questions on donor advised fund or how to maximize deductions, again, please feel free to give our office a call and talk with any of us. We'd be happy to talk through that with you. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we're expecting to change in 2023. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Sandra Geisler, Director of Tax Planning for the Allen Becker Investment Group. Today I'm joined by my associates, Ed Henning and Richard Wallacek, and we are talking all things tax. We're having a great conversation today, and we hope you like the format. In this segment, we want to talk a little bit about 2023. So we're going to get that 2022 return done, and we're going to jump right into some of the planning opportunities for 2023 and some of the new things that we're going to see. In 2022, we had the passing of the 
Inflation Reduction Act. And one of the things that changed, although there wasn't a lot from a tax perspective, one of the things that is interesting to us is some of the new energy credits that we're going to see in 2023. Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to look for in 2023 with regard to those credits? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know kind of a kind of an offset to those are those uh, vehicles, electric vehicle tax credits and such. So they've really changed the wording on this to the clean vehicle credit now instead of the uh, energy tax credit or whatnot. But um, in doing so, they've also added some additional requirements now. So uh, there's a, a battery requirement. There's a critical minerals requirement. Uh, there's no longer a manufacturing capacity or, or a quantity of cars that can claim that tax credit. Uh, used cars have been added to this tax credit as well. So there's a lot more into it other than just buying an electric car now. Uh, they've started the tax credit changes effective 2023 all the way through 2032. So it's kind of a nine-year window to adopt these. And the best recommendation that I can make with this is to either do research or rely on the dealership to help guide you for how much of a tax credit and how does it really work. There's online websites where you can look at a VIN number. You can pump in a VIN number. It can tell you where it's been manufactured. Does it qualify? Does it not qualify? Uh, one of the easier websites to remember that I like is called fueleconomy.gov. And then it just gives you a laundry list of all of the current car makers right now, a picture of them and the applicable tax credit. Uh, it's currently not yet updated for 2023 records, but I anticipate that will be updated uh, in the coming weeks here. But at the end of the day, there's a current tax credit. And then there's almost a little change to this electric tax credit where in 2024, when you purchase the vehicle, you can take that tax credit and use it to offset that purchase price at the point of purchase. So you don't have to wait to file your tax return to get that tax credit. That's pretty nice. But we're still two years out on that. So yeah. <laughs> time will tell how that really truly works and what really happens to the prices of vehicles then. But it's one of those things to kind of get excited about, uh, almost to the extent where, hey, there's also wording about an e-bike um, tax credit for those that are looking at bicycles with the electronic motors and, and the batteries and everything there. It's currently not yet passed. It was introduced back in 2021 saying, hey, if you buy an electric bicycle, you can get a 30% reduction to the cost or a tax credit up to $1,500 because those bikes are so darn expensive here. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, it hasn't gone anywhere. It, it almost made it into the Build Back Better Act. It almost made it into the the uh, Income Reduction Act. And then at the last minute, it was pulled out. So there's people actively supporting that for the bicycles and, and electronic bicycles at that rate, but it hasn't quite yet passed yet. So I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on that to see if it does get included and, and can be applied. But uh, currently, the bicycles do not offer a tax credit. The vehicles do based on certain criterias. So if people are looking to purchase electric vehicles in 2023, mm -hmm. um, they should keep all of that in mind because those are going to be important things that they're going to need to let their preparer know or to report on their tax return. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And I think there's some energy credits kind of revolving around home improvements. Is that right, Ed? Yeah, that's right. So uh, basically, you know, some changes compared with prior years. Uh, for 2023, we have a $1,200 annual tax credit limit for those energy improvements. Um, that replaces the $500 lifetime limit that we had previous to 2023. So um, definitely some 
some additional incentive there to get some things put into place for 2023. Um, there's also tax credits for these home improvements equal to 30% of costs for anything that's eligible out of those improvements. Um, this includes biomass stoves and boilers, electric panels, and kind of some new things as far as like home energy audits. Um, other things that they've had in the past are exterior doors. There's a $250 credit limit on those. And then actually there's it's 500 for all doors, 250 per door. And then you have the exterior windows, skylights, similar to before, but it's actually increased in the credit for 2023 up to $600. There's also the heat pump and heat pump hot water heaters. Apparently there's a rebate involved with those that is affected by your household income. So if it's, you know, if you're not getting the rebate because of that, there's a $2,000 credit available for those items as well. So if we're thinking strategically here, does this mean we only install two windows to get a, a tax credit this year and two windows next year to get that same tax credit next year instead of doing all of the windows at once and only getting the maximum credit for one year? Yeah, that's not a bad idea if we can, you know, kind of work through that. Um, just don't want to take any unconservative approaches there, but we can definitely look into it. Sure. We got to make sure our contractor is going to come back, though, right? That's a valid right. point. That's, <laughs> that's always an important consideration. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, just to sum up what you said about some of those new credits available, there's been a really significant increase in the amount of the credit and probably something that people should look at as they're anticipating their home improvements that they're going to do in 2023. And, and it recurs. You can do it every year going forward for for a while here. And remember, oh, yeah. remember, those are the kinds of things that you have to let your preparer know. If you if you got a new set of windows or two this year, two next year, or you, you put in a new uh, energy efficient furnace, please do let your preparer know so that you can take full advantage of those credits. I don't want to miss out on those. Yeah. No, no. One of the other things that uh, changed here in Wisconsin in 2023 is that we have an increase to our capital loss deduction. So in an earlier segment, we talked about being able to take a $3,000 loss on your federal return against ordinary income. Prior to 2023, in Wisconsin, we were only allowed a maximum of $500. Um, they've now increased that in 2023 to match that federal level of $3,000. As preparers, we're all very excited Finally, about yes, that. Yes, um, yes, Because our carry forwards are going to match uh, over a period of time now. Um, and it's a really, again, a nice opportunity to be able to reduce our income on the Wisconsin side. Talking about Wisconsin, there's also been a cost of living adjustment to Advest accounts. Yeah, so um, looks like I think the number was about thirty six fifty for twenty twenty two. So it goes up a couple hundred dollars to a max of three thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars. Um, so if if you contribute more than that, you can actually carry that forward to a a future tax year, or into into the future tax years. So um, definitely and you, a good and consideration. You and you take that deduction per beneficiary. Yes, yeah, per beneficiary per year. So if you have three, you know, three grandkids that you're contributing to their advest in, you know, you might save with the 5% tax. I think it comes to between 150 and $200 per beneficiary per year. So it's nice tax savings. We talked a little bit about uh, IRA contributions and 401k contributions. 
During this year, we've seen a lot of cost of living increases due to the higher inflation rate that we've had over the last year. And so we're getting some nice increases to some of those contribution limits for 2023. We sure are. In addition to that, those tax brackets are also widening in 2023, which means we've got more room to absorb income in those lower tax brackets as well. So I'm looking forward to planning in 2023 because I know I can have more income than last year and still pay the low tax rates this, that, that we currently have. Right, right. And and most people at this point know that they're going to get a, a nice increase to their Social Security benefits next year. And Medicare premiums actually went down a couple dollars. So, mm-hmm. um, so they're actually going to get to realize in their Social Security benefit Um, the actual increase this year, which is going to be really nice for our retired uh, friends. Right. And the standard deduction also increases nicely too next year as Mm -hmm. well. So it's kind of a compounding um, benefit, if you will, or kind of a a reduced exposure to taxes because of inflation. Sure. I think we're going to be watching some interesting legislation in 2023. I know we're waiting for some guidance from the IRS as it relates to the SECURE Act, which passed in 2020 and beneficiary IRAs and our requirement to take minimum distributions from those accounts. There's also some legislation that's been coined SECURE Act 2.0. So it's it's sort of the, the next level um, they're going to potentially look at, as we said, increasing that, that RMD age, giving people additional opportunities in employer plans like 401ks to contribute more and con- contribute differently. And so I think we're going to be really excited to watch for some of those opportunities as we move into 2023. Mm -hmm. Any final last words, guys, that we want to share? Don't all talk at once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been. I'm I'm trying to think of a really good answer here. I mean, I I think overall it's just a matter of, of being able to manage taxes and foresee what's going to happen in the future and then try to anticipate, well, what are the options? How do the tax laws changes impact a client's situation? And then maximizing the opportunity. That's the, the essence of, of what we do and what we enjoy doing here. That's what we that's what we all really ultimately want to do is to, is to pay the least amount of tax um, that we can and help our clients with really effective tax planning. So I've enjoyed talking with you today and our little roundtable discussion, and I hope that our audience has enjoyed it as well. Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock p.m. If you like today's show and want to know more, please visit www.ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. As always, we hope that we made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.